0: Hello there.
1: This is Fiona. Host and main GM for What Am I Rolling? A twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it is indeed a very special Q&A, as a few weeks back I had the pleasure of interviewing Polish role-player and indie game writer Alexandra Sontoska of Naked Female Giant. Alexandra is probably best known for her work on The Beast, an unsettling erotic role-playing game for one, which she co-designed with her partner, Camille Vegshinovich. In The Beast, the player imagines that they are having a sexual relationship with an inhuman creature and must write a diary describing their encounters, their fears and anxieties over the course of 21 days. I actually played a really special one-shot of The Beast by myself for this podcast in episode 32. It was a very interesting and unique experience for me, and one I do think about from time to time, so I would recommend playing it yourself, but only if you felt comfortable to do so. Due to the nature of the game and the way I did record it, there will be major spoilers for The Beast, and similarly with this interview, there will all be major spoilers for the game, so if you really want to play The Beast and don't want to be spoiled for it, I'd say stop listening now and come back when you're ready if you're ever ready. The Beast is available to buy on RPG, and you can find out more about Naked Female Giant's other games on their website. That's nakedfemalegiant.pl. I'll put links to Alexandra's work and recommendations on the What Am I Rolling website, and in this episode, show notes. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you, and what do you do? Hi, my name is Alexandra Santovska. I'm a gamer from
0: Poland, I live here. I'm also a game designer. My most successful game is a game called The Beasts. I was a co-author for this game with Kamil Wynowicz. I also um, made a bunch of uh, games for some contests, like Polish contests and for 200 words RPG contests. In Poland, I'm known for editing or playing games, like editing and proofreading translations for Apocalypse World,
1: for something from D&D, so that's what I do. So what made you want to write and design your own games then? The funny thing is that
0: I I didn't want <laughs> I wasn't thinking about writing my own stuff. Uh, usually it's me who says um, there's plenty of people who make their own games and someone has to play them. There should be people who read those books, you know? But once I had this idea for stability games about bonobo apes that have sex. So you have a party game uh, with bonobo apes, and you're doing stuff and have sex, and, like, how would it uh, look like on a party, like a party game, you know? And I told my partner about it and he said, oh, uh, let's write it down. And it was like, oh, you made a game. Did I? (laughs) (laughs) So it was kind of unexpected. Like I'm still not very eager to treat things I write seriously. Like, oh, those are contest games. It's nothing to be proud about. It's just like everyone can make a game. And seriously, like everyone can do it. Everyone can make something.
1: What would you say is your biggest influences in writing your games, or writing for 200 words RPG?
0: My biggest influences? Uh, that stuff. Right now, I'm into uh, so-called indie games. Like No one would tell you what really an indie game is, apart from creator ownership. But uh, when I was starting, I started with games like Dogs in the Vineyard with Archipelago. Sometimes I couldn't find people to play them, but even like reading things like breaking the ice was very illuminating. Like you can make a game that the what the game is about or what the characters are doing and how is not based on how competent they are, but probably on something else like relations with other characters. It doesn't have to be about fighting and stealing stuff, but it could be about love or about morality, about being in a weird relations with people. So because I played a bunch of those games, it made me think in a different way. So I started to think like, uh, what are other ways you can make uh, a game? Or like, what could be important in a game apart from being competent? The other thing is that there are some mechanical style in some of those games that they uh, catch on somehow. Yeah, like what I liked in John Harper's Place in the Dark was uh, lists. Like you have a bunch of lists you choose from. So if you give a player a bunch of uh, options to choose from, it's more likely that they will choose something that's more according to the convention of the game, to the team of the game, something like this. And the opposite is true too. If you don't give those options and the player is free to choose whatever they want, they usually, people uh, choose from what they know. So, It's like you made a fighter, a dwarf fighter again, and this fighter again behaves the same way as your other fighter, yeah? I started to think about how taking away some of the freedom and giving constraints to what you're allowed to do as a player somehow frees you from making you to be um, imaginative. You don't have to be an imaginative person to play this game because this game fuels you with imaginative, with creative uh, power. Building on these ideas that are fused in the system, you start to be more creative. And it made me start to think how to how the games are made. And later that I could do something uh, of my own.
1: I completely agree, because a lot of the time when you're playing a game, sometimes it's easier to step, like you said, into those sort of stereotypes, so like the dwarf fighter, the elf ranger, that sort of thing. And I think it is that sort of picking out or having the rules of the game help you. So I think sometimes it is hard to be creative. There's um, a improv game I play where the whole rule was that it was just you and this other person, and you're doing something Mm -hmm. mundane, like eating breakfast or cleaning the living room, and Mm -hmm. you just had to talk about mundane things and nothing Mm -hmm. interesting. And actually, it was one of the most enjoyable things for me, because you had to then build up these characters who then Mm -hmm. could say anything interesting. So, for example, I was on an anniversary dinner with my wife, And we were like talking about stuff, and I was like, how was your day at the office? And she went, oh, you know, you know how it is. Dave did this, and I was like, oh yeah, I really don't like Dave. And I got told that's too interesting, (laughs) come up with something else. (laughs) And anything I said was very, very interesting. So that to break it down into mundane stuff, I do find actually quite interesting. The other thing that I found out in those games is
0: how you move the power of uh, what's called a GM between players so you know we have uh, like games like fiasco that's called gmless or gm4 i i like it more so we're a gm but for a short time and then the other person is starting to be a gm there is a game called city of birds where the power goes around the table and the first player is playing a character the second one is saying what's in the scene and push into the conflict, and when conflict appears, the first person looks at traits of the character and says how it went the, the situation, and the fourth person says what will happen later, what kind of impact it will have on the situation or or later. It's not that one person possesses the full authority of what happens by the table. It's cut into pieces, and. Also, the not intended to result of it is that it kind of generates randomness. Normally you would roll dice to generate randomness, but because I can ask you for what will happen then, and you're not mixed in a situation, and you're not the person who generated the situation, you can see like from your point of view and say something that's... maybe it's like something totally obvious, but sometimes you, you'll say something that's kind of obvious, and I'm, we're like, oh, really? You're right, but we didn't notice this. I couldn't imagine that it would be a result of the situation. So, like, sharing the power, sharing the authority between the table gives the authority to people who we have different ideas. So in Bandits, I said, okay, because of the Bandits come into the village. And the bandit player says what the bandits do. And uh, they also decide whether to use the mechanics. So if the bandits are kind of annoyed by what villagers do, they say, okay, it's time to roll. But in the same time, the village player has the authority upon the setting. So they say what the villagers do, and then they can say how the the village do, because it's like, okay, they are villages. So it's perfectly clear that they know how the village look like, right? Mm -hmm. This was an idea to share the authority of what is we call usually being a GM between like two players and to make a two player game where you play a group of people on both sides. And I was thinking like, because I changed this authority. It wasn't that easy for other
1: people to see it. The other thing with games such as like Bandits and with, mm-hmm. you mentioned Fiasco, is that it can introduce people into suddenly controlling, in a way, like people who aren't used to GMing or running a game. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the times i experienced, and I'm sure you've experienced as well, is a lot of people love to play games, but they don't like running games. And it's a mixture yeah. of confidence and not knowing the rules. And I think these GM-less games, or games that don't necessarily need a GM, it encourages people to, you know, go outside their comfort zones and try silly things, but then everyone else has to say yes and and build on it, or try and find ways around these obstacles. It's freeing, like he said. It's sort of, it frees you to do things that you wouldn't expect. And I think it gives you that confidence to build on, so that if it comes to a time when you are going to play a GM or you want to run a game, you have it there.
0: I think why it's possible with games like Fiasco or Bandits or City of Birds, it is possible because they are pretty short as a a booklet in some cases, and the instruction is pretty clear. You don't need a special and very intelligent person to do it. I try from time to time to read those uh, games like Warhammer 4th came or my friend is uh, running Coriolis, so Coriolis is 388 pages long. The funny thing is with Coriolis it has like about five pages about how to run this game. The rest is like there is some mechanics so how to make fights or how to make a character. In those five pages you have how to distribute darkness points so like the GM mechanics and what is a situation or the scene, and that's it. And it's like three hundred eighty pages. You have only five pages about GMing. Like mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's absurd. People are like having this great-looking books and putting them on the shelves. And I'm very strict what I think about it. I think they are killing them. Like if you are not playing a game, it's dead. Mm-hmm. He, like. You could put it in the uh, on a frame and put it on the wall as a picture. Like it would be that useful. Like I understand they they are collecting these uh, objects, but that's what I mean. They are objects. They are not games. They are not alive. You need friends and like imagination to fuel this game. It won't happen without you.
1: Can you give us a brief overview of the Beast? What makes it stand out to other single player games out there?
0: I don't know much about one player games. I just found out there are some. So we made this game, and then suddenly there were like a lot of others, of other one player games. So I won't answer this question. I, I couldn't. But I'm very happy that there
1: are others. Well, then, can you give us sort of a brief overview of the history of The Beast? I think you talked about it before about how you and Camille had two different ideas and then merged them together.
0: Generally speaking, it's Cameo is this creative person, and he's like, oh, I came back from work and have this idea for a game, and I'm washing the dishes and I have this other (laughs) idea for a game, and he came with the idea of um, that you have sex with the beast, and this like relationship or something. I think it was it was his idea. He was sparked by Cronenberg movies. But it's not something I, I watched. I had to watch them with him to like grasp the horrid ideas. <laughs> but from my point of view, it was like, okay, this is super interesting, but we can't play it together. It would be like one of us would be the beast and would impose the bestiality and the horror of the sexual being upon the other person. And it would probably be too scary like it would be hard to bear and because i heard that someone was doing a one-player game and there is many of them you know it was like okay what would happen if it be a one-player game and it started to work like what if we had a diary again like his idea was uh, about Cronenberg movies about this body horror stuff and my ideas were about this your Diary uh, writings. Like you have this diary. I think a part of it was based on some random articles about BDSM relationships. You have this consensual relationship, but for people from the outside, it's like something you don't talk much. Plus, sex is not something you talk about with other people. And we started to make it. Like we started to have this idea for a diary. Camille made a draft. How? What kind of uh, questions there would be? And I was like, okay, I can sleep. So I wrote a number of ideas for other cards. And yeah, it starts start working. I told you that Camille has this uh, plenty of ideas, but it was sometimes like this one cling to me. Like, okay, I want to try it. And then I started developing it. And from this fusion of Cronenberg and this romanticism of what uh, young girls do or like women do, like they have this personal diaries, they, they write down things they don't want others to hear. I think I put a lot of uh, like my personal emotions into this game. And uh, with this body horror... It starts to be more of a sum of its parts. The body horror element made this the theme of this game more, like, stronger. Like, everything was more. Like, being a secret starts to be, like, it's not something you would casually tell someone else, right? The loneliness and of being alone with the secret is harsher. The sex
1: is even more. Like, the sex is over the top and, like, very weird. The idea of having the secret and having it for 21 straight days at no breaks at all and that idea of building on everything you've done from the little prompts you get it gets to the point where you do think about it even after you've finished it and played it. Like, I still think about it from time to time, and obviously when we talk about well, but it's true. Like, it's an interesting concept for someone who's never played. Like, I've never done a lot, or I've never done anything for that long, like, just one person. You know, like, you could say, like, video games or something like that, but it's something that's... Video games, obviously, that's like a persona. You, you can recreate yourself with the personalisation of a character, perhaps, but that's more of a set narrative, whereas... The beast obviously is prompting what you want to do, what you think mm-hmm. is going to be. Like I said to you before, I've never experienced anything quite like it. And it's something that makes me think about the idea of like, would I have done the same thing if it was not a beast, if it was someone that I was seeing? Like if they suddenly acted out really aggressively or if they did something bad. And, obviously, at the end of my story – spoilers if people are listening – is that um, the beast left me, but I had Mm -hmm. the choice of either killing the beast, the beast dying, the beast leaving me, or I leave the beast. And killing the beast and the beast dying didn't really suit what I thought would be the case. So it was either between, obviously, me leaving or the beast leaving. And I just weighed up what I'd said over the last 21 days and realising that even though these little red flags were popping up, I can't leave. So I thought it made me reevaluate. Like you said, it changes you a lot of it. So it made me reevaluate how I would see relationships and how I'm always giving advice like, oh, that sounds like a bad person. You should leave them. If I can't leave my own creation of a partner. So it was very fascinating to to go through it. So I'm very thankful for, for both of you for creating it. So I was
0: thinking whether like in what way what it says about you when you're making this last choice and like i killed my beast because i couldn't deal with what happens but also with my own cruelty and uh i i wouldn't say what but i feel like it says something about about me about what i think about people about the world about people um, hurting or abusing me. Maybe it's not what I would do in reality, but probably it is something that I would like to do, maybe. I don't feel that this game is fully consciously designed. It's like, okay, I can understand how the game works, and I would say, okay, there are some elements and people do this and this and this, but... In the same time when I was playing it, I wasn't thinking in this way. I can still think like something. Uh, I draw this card and it made me feel sad or anxious because it still works. Like even if I understand the mechanics behind the design idea, so
1: it's it's, it's kind of weird. Another point I was going to also talk about briefly, so The Beast, obviously, is a single-player, and mm-hmm. most of your other games are between two players, or uh, mostly two players, I think. Again, was that a conscious decision? Like, would you pre- do you prefer games where it's just low numbers of people when you're um, designing games?
0: There are two reasons to this. So, one reason is a practical reason. Like, some of those games were made for 200 words. RPG contests so not so many words so you don't have space for writing so less players it would be easier to have all of this on a page like 200 words not much. (laughs) The second reason is that I don't have too many two-player games but also a game for two players have the specific situation There is a game called The Hour Between Dog and Wolf that's about a serial killer and uh, a detective that looks for him, like it sounds very, very good. So this is what I was looking for in those games, like what if we ignore the element of a setting? Like we have uh, implied setting or just a little setting that we know, we, we both know, but not challenges against environment but between the
1: characters. So we'll talk about then, you mentioned it a little bit before about 200 Words RPG Challenge and you've taken part Mm -hmm. in the last few years. How's that experience been for you? So 200 Words RPG Challenge is
0: a contest and the goal of the contest is to write a game in less than 200 words. That's it. In the first edition, the layout was allowed, but not anymore. So now you have words only. And because the constraints and because of so little words, it's both interesting and accessible. So, English is not my first language, but it's not that hard to make a game into 100 words. And even if my English is not that good as native speakers, because there is so little space, it's not that a big of a handicap. 200 words is not much, so like everyone can do it. I would say like everyone should try to make a game. And generally speaking, you will be a designer. So just making this 200 word game, you could call yourself RPG designers. It's cheap, you know? Like, you don't have to do much. I think in the last edition, there were 800 participants. So I think a success for some of them would be that your game would be would be seen or that someone would not even, like, played it, but at least, like, I mentioned it somewhere. Also, 200 words so one sentence for characters, one sentence for situation, one sentence for mechanics, and that's it. You should use the existing rules as written, but try to gain more out of it. Mm -hmm. Like there was a game where someone used spaces. So you are scrolling this game slash story, and those spaces were making the story elements into it and made tension. It was tricky. It was interesting. Someone made a picture out of ASCII characters. So, so one word, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or like a few words. But you can look for ideas how to use it for yourself. The most important and the hardest thing about this contest is to be clear what your game is about, like, really. Because you don't have enough words, so you have to get rid of everything that's not necessarily everything that doesn't add to the premise of the game. It's not needed. Like you can make the expansion later. Yes. <laughs> what's the core thing about this game, or what's the thing you want to show to people? Like with the relation intense. I'm not writing it's a Victorian setting. I don't really need this, but with the choice of words or with the idea of uh, there being a muse and an artist, the reader would assume it's this kind of situation, Mm -hmm. the Victorian or early 20th century, so I don't have to state a period. I think this contest will help people understand the importance of the conscious choice of words and how much you can say in a small numbers or number of words. Of course, if you're making a game, you can try to do it like in a little word and then expand it or clarify it in extra pages, for example. But what it's really about, 200 words should be enough for the basic concept for the game.
1: Yeah, it's like um, you were saying before, it's a bit like a a prompt, it's a writing prompt. How can you contain and communicate your idea for a game within a limited number of uh, words? So yeah, I totally see that. And yeah, I think it doesn't matter. Your first game or your first writing may not be seen by anyone, it might not be read by anyone, or it might not be very good. And that's okay. It
0: it might be crap, but give yourself permission to do it. Like, I don't think all of those games uh, are good. They can be good because 200 words is not enough to make a full game, right? But I playtested our relationship intense. I will tell you, it's not working. (laughs) Mechanically, (laughs) it's crap. But as we were uh, playtesting it, it was like, oh, there is something. Even with the mechanic that didn't work, we felt as if the relationship we can feel it; it's abusive we can see there's problems we can see that there is power dynamics even if the mechanics didn't work, so the premise works mm-hmm. and like oh, I should expand it, I have ideas how to do it, maybe I will do it and you
1: should give yourself a permission to, to try yeah, permission to try, permission to fail and permission to yes. sort of inspire yourself as well, because that's like you're saying like okay, play doesn't go so well, but you then are like, okay, next time I'll change this, this, and this. And so instantly the game itself, it's not crap. It just needs tweaking. But even, let's say it's crap.
0: Okay, it doesn't work, but they learn something. Okay, it doesn't work, but maybe I can salvage some elements from it. Maybe i make a game with totally different premise, but that would uh, have... Some elements from this old
1: experiment, Hmm. and maybe this tiny bit will inspire you later. What would be your sort of main advice for anyone who wants to play The Beast? Uh, I know we've talked a bit about spoilers just now, but in general, what Mm -hmm. would you say is a good way to sort of approach this game?
0: The first thing I would say to anyone is read the rules and try to abide by them. It's pretty obvious, but it's not like. How do you say it? I know people are hacking games before they are playing them. It's kind of funny because I feel like this way you you won't know how the game works. So with playing the beast, you made a recording uh, of the beast, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, you did. And in making a recording, you're hacking the game because you are supposed to watch to,
1: <laughs> to write in the diary
0: and not show sure anyone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you made a double hack. It's not that I'm angry or something. It's more like the rules are for something. And by the way, I love hearing the like, idea or reading the writing. But I feel um in the same time, I feel that writing with the idea of publication would go somewhat differently than if you write it for yourself. It will be more conscious. Uh, I'm
1: sure you omitted some elements that would be too gross to say. Surprisingly, I I did edit it, but it was mostly me writing down. So, but it was interesting. It's what you said, actually. It's a very good point, because like, I did have in mind, obviously, I'm recording. So I said a lot of things out loud and thinking out loud, which I would not have done. I, mean, I probably would have just been more instantaneous whilst writing down yes. rather than like talking to myself out loud in a very quiet room as I read these questions out, hoping that no one else can hear me. So definitely, I I definitely see that.
0: Yeah. I left a question someone asked me. So I was writing my diary on my laptop and what should I do now? And I was like, okay, so you hacked the game and I don't have any responsibility on what you did because... I, I can help you with this. And then I was like, okay, but you were supposed to hide or burn the diary, right? So, I know, like, format C would work. I know if it's what he did. Or, I know, burn your laptop or something. <laughs> I love how, like, making these little changes to the rules make a following the actual rules kind of impossible, kind of hard later. And it was, this, was something what I expected in the beginning when I wrote the rules, but anyway, they, they work like this. But with actual playing, I feel like the most important thing is following your guts and writing what you feel. Trying to bear with the beast, I know it's hard. I was there too. And one thing I feel it's kind of important maybe not important, it helps and it adds to the experience, is that the rules doesn't say who you're playing, but kind of assume that it's you yourself. And to use the ideas or things, objects from your vicinity, like your favorite cup, and also to look for consequences of whatever you stated before you using things from your own life, uh, looking for, like, who could know about the piece and take just a random person, like, from your office or from the building you live in. It makes all of this more intimate and kind of gives this uh, a real feeling. I, I feel that, the answers to the questions are more, more honest and in the same time they feel more they feel scarier. But I don't mean scarier as if I'm watching a movie, it's more like, oh, I am this kind of person or like it, it's something I would really might do in this kind of situation.
1: And it's it's kinda of revealing, but it's it's also sad in this way. <laughs> It reminds me a little bit, if you've ever seen um, Neverending Story or read it, there's a bit in it where Atreyu, the, the sort of small child in the story, goes up and there's a doorway, it shows you who your true self is. And when Atreyu goes up to the mirror, or the mirrored door, he sees Bastion, who's the kid that's reading the book. And mm-hmm. it's that moment that Bastion realises he's in the book, he is that character realizing, like, it's not uh, choose-your-own-adventure, obviously, but it's that mm-hmm. idea of that you said that it's something that is revealed that, well, it's not even revealed, you know that these decisions are a reflection of yourself, and mm-hmm. how true that is of yourself, how much you're willing to admit it, can be quite, it's, it's scary. I, I agree, there's no other real term for it. It's kind of like, am I really this sort of person? I want to be someone else. I want to aspire to be someone yeah. else. And it's that. And the actions, the actions, what you
0: do, aren't real. The emotions, they are.
1: Yeah, so real. Right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So this is something revealing. Like, if something happened, I would be angry. I would be hurt. I would be scared. I would uh, do this awful, horrible thing because I'm. I know. I'm jealous. I'm angry. Like there was a lot of anger in, in my
1: journal. It's a way of channeling it in a way that you can't necessarily communicate it to others, because obviously it's the whole yeah. point of it that it's a secret. So like you've had all these emotions that, but nothing has happened to you. It's just something that you have theorized. Or you were saying something that you've thought about doing, and in your head you have done it, even though you haven't. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's a way to sort of channel your emotions, but then learn and mature from it. It's like sort of not even metagaming. It's more um, learning more about yourself and then being comfortable with that version of yourself.
0: One extra thing I think is important for playing this game. I, I know that people are sometimes, especially people who never, I don't know, role played before or like wrote stories before. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what should I choose? I have ideas, what should I choose? Or I don't have any ideas. What I think is just grab one like the most simple one or most obvious one and just go with it and like after a day or two you would have something upon it it's just like taking consequences from this from the situation even like the smallest things like if you take the consequence like look for consequences of them it would give you a situation why having uh the beast in your life Is such a joy and such a hustle.
1: Where can we find out more about your work and where are you on social media so that people who listen can find out more?
0: So my blog is nakedfemalegiant.pl. I mostly write in Polish, uh, sometimes in English. You can find some of my famous ideas or like weird ideas. I made a page for the beast, beast. beast.nakedfemalegiant.pl. PO. I'm on Twitter as kerr for the Beast. I, I just started. I don't have much experience with Twitter, so if you tweet me something and if you think that you like the Beast, add me. If you have any questions, ask me in private message or in a tweet.
1: Thank you. Thank you for well, doing this interview again with me. <laughs> and yeah, I really enjoy talking about games and enjoying hearing other people's uh, perspectives of them. So thank you so much.
0: It was super fun for me. I like how you let me talk with you instead of asking me questions. <laughs> like, it's, it's nicer. Yeah. Oh, well,
1: thank, thank you. The well, second time's the best ch- time, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to do more of these special Q&A bonus episodes in future, including Q&As on the one-shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling? If you have a question you would like to send in or a submission for Help! My fictional RPG character is having difficulties, please send them along to our email address. That's whatamirollingpodcasts at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.